join with me in John chapter 14 and Proverbs chapter 1. John 14 and Proverbs 1. There were three ladies that went out to lunch together one day, and two of them were, were married. One was uh, single, and the two married women thought that they would give some counsel to the single young friend who, uh, uh, who was interested one day in marriage. And one of them said, you know, uh, you, you've got to give and take in marriage. Uh, and the other lady said, yes, for example, there are times I have to do things that I don't like to do. This past week, this past weekend, I went with my husband and I went fishing. And I don't like worms, I don't like fish, I don't like boats, I don't like water, but I like him, so I went. And the uh, next lady said, yeah, well, for example, um, uh, my husband went shopping with me. And he can't stand it. He doesn't like uh, shopping centers. Uh, he's uh, nervous about spending the money, that kind of thing. And so the single young lady said, well, let me make sure I get this straight. You mean to tell me that marriage means that you rotate being miserable between the two of you? <laughs> you take turns at being miserable. Uh, it's important to get that decision right, isn't it? Uh, because really, at times, that's exactly what marriage is. I heard when I was very young that there will be times in your marriage where you will feel like you are giving more than your partner, and you will feel that way for a long time, and your partner will feel the same way at the same time. From our perspective, we're always giving more than the other person, and the other person thinks that at the same time. Now, once in a while, we become aware that um, our partner's giving, giving more at times, and, but really, frankly, that's rare. Most of the time, we feel like we're giving more than the other. That's why it is so important to get that decision right. It's important to get all your decisions right, in fact. And I want to confess to you this morning, without being braggadocious, in fact, I'm, I'm trying to be encouraging here, I got my marriage decision right. I also got right the decision to where to go to college. I remember looking at a financial aid offer from three different Baptist schools in Texas, from Baylor and Hardin-Simmons and East Texas Baptist University. And East Texas Baptist University, where I went, was offering uh, the least amount of scholarship help. And it became real clear just looking at that, that that's precisely where God wanted me to go. I had this strong impression. Now, they were offering the least amount of scholarship help. They were also about 50 to 75% less than the other two schools. I didn't know that. And so, uh, but God led me there. Uh, I, I went to the right seminary as well. I remember sitting in chapel one day, listening to a speaker from Southwestern Seminary talk about the, uh, about the chance of creation coming together with 10 different factors of creation and how improbable that happens to be. And the Holy Spirit said to my heart there, sitting in chapel that day, that if that's what they're teaching at that school, that's where you need to go. And my wife went to the same school because she heard the same message at another place from the same person. Uh, so I got that decision right. All the churches I've ever served, I ended up going to the right place. God was directing me. Now, don't think, well, of course, you're a preacher, you get these things right, because I can point to you a lot of preachers who don't. I can't, unfortunately. But it's the kind of God that we've got that is so gracious and kind to guide us meritly, to guide us vocationally, to guide us educationally, to guide us in every area of life. We've gotten our children's health decisions right. 
whether we were dealing with uveas in the eye or kidneys or esophagus or everything from head to feet, God directed us in making some very critical decisions in the health life of each of our children. Listen, God is not playing hide-and-go-seek with His will. He does not do that. God is the kind of God who gives direction and righteous instruction and directs His children in the right way. You don't have to walk alone. You can walk with God, and you can make decisions right just like Jesus did, and that's the wonderful promise of John chapter 14, and it's the warning of Proverbs chapter 1. Read with me in John chapter 14, and we'll look at Proverbs 1 a little bit later. But here in this text, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would give disciples direction from the Word. Now, verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And so Jesus has said, I'm going to make myself real to you all. And Judas, the one that's not Iscariot, the son of James, said, well, wait a minute. How is it that you're going to manifest yourself in the second coming and the rest of the world not see it? That's really what he means. And Jesus says, I've got another way of making myself clear long before I ever come back in my second coming, when I take over the world. And then he goes on in verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. By the Holy Spirit, God will give you a word from His Word. God can give you a personal word from His written word by the Holy Spirit. And that is what God is willing to do. So this morning, I want to address the subject, the Holy Spirit getting a word from the Word. So how can I get a personal word from the written Word? How is it that I can get God from His Word to direct me in each of my decisions? Well, let me describe those to whom God gives a word. The first is this, they leave their sins. The Holy Spirit gives a word from the Word to those who leave their sins. Now, I can imagine someone saying, good grief, why make such a big deal about sin? Do you not know you live in the 21st century and the only thing that's right and wrong is what you personally choose or what your community happens to think? Why in the world look at a group of people like this and even speak on a thing like sin? Listen to me. If sin is not serious to God, the cross of Christ is a blunder. The cross of Jesus Christ is God's own personal commentary over how critical sin happens to be. It took the death and the slaughter of Jesus Christ to earn and purchase for us redemption that it might be canceled, our sin may be canceled and eliminated, and we might be made right with God. That's what God thinks about sin. In other words, to get us to Him, He killed His own Son at the cross. Folks, please don't ever make sin a light 
matter. Well, what about all these little sins? Well, if they're so little, give them up. You see, they're not so little, are they? They entangle and they snare, and you're in bondage to them. You can be, and only Jesus Christ can set you free. Now, I say all that because of verse 22 and a parenthetical reference that is found here in verse 22. There's a Judas in the disciples' number. In fact, Jesus called 12 disciples, and on them he built his church uh, upon these. Uh, They became part of the apparatus on which he built his uh, church and launched it and wrote the New Testament and spread the gospel around the world. There were actually two Judases. One is Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him in the garden. The other one is Judas, the son of James, sometimes called Thaddeus. And uh, church history tells us that he probably was killed in Beirut uh, as a missionary preaching the gospel of Christ. Well, look what the text says in verse number 22. wants to be very, very clear. It's Judas, not Judas Iscariot, who asked him this serious question. And it is Judas, the son of James, not Iscariot, who gets a word from the living God, beginning in verse number 23. You see, Jesus is answering Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot. It is the one, Judas, the son of James, that gets a word from God. He's cleansed himself. He's yielded. He's submissive. He's humble before Jesus Christ. He has left his sins, but not Judas Iscariot, who's hiding them. That's precisely what you find here in the text. The one with integrity got the word, not the one hiding his sins. Now, is this not stunning? You've got these two Judases. One gets a word from God, the other doesn't. But they both have the same opportunity to hear the same sermons from Jesus. They see the same miracles. They witness the same exorcisms. And yet, one of them gets a word from God and one does not. It's like some married couples. You've got one that's thriving spiritually and the one that is just as dead as 4 o'clock in the morning. Same sermons, same opportunities, and all. You find that in churches, people sitting on the same pew. One of them gets a word from God, they are thriving spiritually, and the other one is dead, lifeless, and listless. One's making a difference, the other There is no difference at all. That's the case that you've got here with these two Judases, Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot. Judas the son of James gets a word from God. Judas Iscariot doesn't get anything. Listen, unconfessed sin will block and clog your ability to hear the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 then says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, Isaiah 59.1 and 2 say, The Lord's arm is not shortened that it cannot save. God has an arm long enough to intervene into the affairs of men and women. Nor is His ear dull that He cannot hear. In other words, God's hearing is perfectly clear. But your sins have separated you from your God. Unconfessed sin will clog and block your ability to hear the direction of the Holy Spirit. So if you've got a word and direction from the Holy Spirit, it's probably because you've taken some time to get clean before God. But if you're seeking a word and direction from the Holy Spirit, you want to make a decision that pleases and honors God, and you can't get anything 
There may be several things that are wrong. It may be maybe the timing's not right. But if the deadline's passed and God hasn't directed you, it may be that you didn't clean yourself up before God. And it's not that God didn't speak. It's that you didn't have the ability to hear because sin, unconfessed sin, had clogged and blocked your ability to hear God. So when trying to make a decision, give extra time to getting clean before God. And when you do that, you'll never make a mistake. You never make a mistake whenever getting clean before God. And the good news is that theme dominates the Scripture. That you and I can be clean before God is the truth that dominates the Scripture. Psalms 103, verse 12, As far as the east is removed from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Aren't you glad he said east and west, not north and south? Isn't that something? Once you start going east, you never go west. That's how far he's removed our sins from us. But if you go north to south, you can start north, go south, and you come back up to north again. Well, that's not nearly far enough. God wants to remove them forever. And God wants to remove them an infinitesimal distance away from you that you'd have no guilt before him. And because of the blood of Christ, God can cleanse. This theme dominates the scripture. Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, and you may be struggling powerfully, You may feel like you're the worst person in this building, but the Bible teaches that there's hope even for you. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. God has more grace and more love than you will ever need, and you don't have to be excluded from this. And that's why at the end of every sermon, every message here at Beach Haven on Sunday morning, we offer you the opportunity to give your heart and life to Christ and say yes to Him. No one has to be excluded. You only can exclude yourself. God's thrown open the gates wide, and He's willing to cleanse and forgive, and you can be made right with Him. So the Holy Spirit gives a word from the Word to those who lead their sins, but also to those who love the Savior. Now look how emphatic that is in verse 23 and 24. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And then the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. There are three ways to describe this love. It's a forthright love. It's very frank. It's very forthright. There's no ambiguity here. I mean, when you're single and you're looking to date and to marry, there's some ambiguity there. Unless you grew up with the girl you're interested in, I mean, you probably get interested in a stranger. And I, I took 20 months before I ever decided I was going to date my wife, who, the lady who would eventually become my wife, and because there's ambiguity there. I, I didn't know. I had no idea that this was right at all. And so I watched, I observed, I prayed, I stressed over it, and God eventually made it clear. There can be some ambiguity there, in human relationships. But look at verse number 23. There's no ambiguity at all. No ambiguity at all. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If we really love Jesus, and we don't just admire him, if we really love him, we will keep his word. We will obey him. The kind of love we're to have for him is a forthright love. And so if you want to know, do I love the Lord Jesus? Do I love the Lord Jesus in a way where I can be assured the Holy Spirit will give me a word and direction? Measure your obedience. 
Obedience is an unambiguous, frank, and forthright measure of our love for Jesus. So he directs those who love the Savior with the forthright love, and then it's a family love. He said, the Father and I will love him, we'll enjoy him, we'll just be thrilled with this person, and we will come and make our home in the one who loves me enough to obey me. We'll make our home with him. In other words, a walk with Jesus Christ becomes an awful lot like the experience in your home. You know one another. In our home, we know and can pretty well anticipate who will have their dirty clothes in the right place and who won't. Uh, we, we can anticipate who will be Johnny on the spot and quick with chores and those who might struggle a little bit. We also know the secret hiding place of the Oreo cookies. We're talking about that kind of knowledge. And God is willing to walk with His people who love the Lord Jesus in such a way that there is a forthright and a family love. But that's not all. It's forthright, it's family, then it's future. It's a future love. Now, again, look at verse number 23. He says, We will come to Him and make our home with Him. Well, do you remember the first time Jesus used this word earlier in John 14? Turn back to the first of the chapter, John chapter 14, verse 1. He says here in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. The same word used there about the future home is used for the current home in verse number 23. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away and I'm going to build you a house in heaven. Now, I think that's a marvelous promise. It took him just six days to create the heavens and earth. He's been working on that for 2,000 years. What a marvelous place. But he says here, before you ever arrive there, I can build a similar home in your soul where the Father and I will dwell with you. That's the kind of home I can build in you. In other words, the, the heavenly promise and eternal reality comes streaming in the present and becomes alive and a real and, and vibrant and fervent when we love the Lord Jesus and we obey Him. So he, he's promising this kind of love. So the Holy Spirit gives a word to those who will love the Savior with this forthright love, a fervent love. Psalms 25, 14 says, the secret or the counsel of the Lord is with those who fear Him, that those who are uh, amazed by Him, those who are thrilled with Him, those who can cry out in sincerity, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. You get somebody's heart set on Christ that way, and that person will have the direction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enjoys such a person. And so if you've got direction from the Holy Spirit, it's probably because you've revived and ignited your love and renewed your love for Him. But if you're struggling with direction from the Holy Spirit and you're just not getting a word, you might need to question yourself 
on this point. If you love Jesus with the forthright love, He will not fail you. So listen, when you're making a decision, don't obsess over the decision in the deadline. When you're making a decision, don't fret and worry about the mechanics of decision-making. Take note of wise decision-making, but whenever you are seeking to make a decision, don't fret or worry or obsess over the decision itself or the deadlines. Instead, obsess over love for Jesus. Take some time to examine your heart and life and make sure I love Christ because the Holy Spirit gives direction to people that love the Savior He loves. Well, there's a challenge here now. It's extremely important. And turn with me to Proverbs 1. If you're seeking direction from the Lord, you need to know, you need to obey what you already know to do before He's going to give you more. Jesus said in Mark 24 through 424 through 26, He who has, to him who has shall more be given. If you're careful with what he's already told you, then he'll give you more. But if you don't, you can't expect God to give you anything. In other words, if the Lord has directed you to do something and you've not done it, you're not getting any more direction from God until you go back and do what you were supposed to do. I mean, you get your heart right. You get reconciled with people. You, you fix that area. You... Um, you pay restitution. You do whatever you've got to do to get right with God in those areas where He's already directed you. I've got to tell you, heaven will be brass and closed until you do. God says, I want you to be faithful to your church. And you're unfaithful, you're not getting anything from God. I want you to tithe, but you won't. You're not getting anything from God. Uh, you, you, um, you won't live in holiness and purity before God. You're not getting anything from God. You won't seek Him with a whole heart and His Word and prayer. You're not getting anything from God until you go back and do what God wants you to do. Then and only then do you get more. In other words, God doesn't give direction to people that are careless with what He's already said. Not at all. We've got to do what we already know to do. Now, this is what God will do with those who are careless with what He said. Proverbs 1.28, Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge. They did not choose to fear the Lord. You've got to come to the point where you confess, verse 29, is the root of your disobedience to Him. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with the full of their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. And I've got to tell you, beloved, this is really, really what worries me about young adults. They get away from home. They get tempted. They backslide. They begin to walk with the world. They get involved in all sorts of garbage. And they're making some of the most important decisions of their lives. Do not make a decision in a backslidden state until your love is forthright and fervent for Jesus Christ, until you've left your sin. Please don't make decisions until you get clean before God and recklessly in love with Jesus Christ. Or else Proverbs chapter 1, verse 28 through verse 33 will be your reality. Got to tell you, listen, it, it amuses me. It stuns me. After all the history that we've lived, some people actually think they are smarter than God. 
God says, don't date non-Christians. Yet we keep doing it. We, we start flirting with them. Don't, don't neglect your God and His Word. Don't, don't bow up against counsel from godly, wiser people, especially parents. Don't do that. No one's ever succeeded. And yet, I'm going to be the exception. First time in history, I'm going to be the exception. I'm going to be the one that's going to act in a foolish way and make a wise decision. Friend, I've got to tell you, it just isn't going to happen. Proverbs 128 through 33 will be the reality of that. So love Jesus. Love the Savior. But there is a third kind of person, third kind of description of the person that gets a word from the Word. And that's verses 25 through 27. And look at the emphasis here. He says here, these things I have spoken to you. Now, what things? Well, those things recorded in the Gospels. The Word of God. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now, what is that? Well, that's everything from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation. And the completion in the authorship and writing of the New Testament is the fulfillment of that. I will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So when he says he will teach you all things, that's Acts through Revelation, and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In other words, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you according to the Word. And look at the marvelous peace you can have when you go by the Word. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Holy, listen, the Holy Spirit guides a scriptural mind. He has an affinity for those who have an affinity for the Word. For those who immerse themselves into the Word of the living God. Now that means a couple of things. One, it means boundaries. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to disobey the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will never lead you, whether it's in your financial life, your sexual life, your moral life, your theological life, whatever, your vocational life, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to violate the Word of God. Never under any circumstance. He'd be contradictory and untrustworthy. He inspired the Bible and then he would turn around later and encourage you to disobey it. Oh no, no, that's not the kind of God that we have. He's the God of truth. He is the helper and he stands by the word. You may get a notion that you need to do something that violates scripture and the moment you do, you can know for certain that that doesn't come from God. So, so boundaries. But the second thing are patterns. Patterns. God has a way of setting patterns in His Word by which the Holy Spirit leads us. Psalms 27, 14 is a verse I have concentrated on for years and years now when making decisions. It says, uh, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and He will strengthen your heart. He will direct your heart. He will guide your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So when God guides you, it's usually not impulsively. God rarely moves people to make an impulsive decision. Usually he gives them time to think through, to contemplate, to reflect, to seek counsel. Rarely is a decision from heaven 
Rarely is a decision or direction and guidance from God an impulsive thing. Usually, there will be a time where you wait on God for the particular answer. I, I, like I told you, I took 20 months to even decide to date my bride. Drove her crazy. And she was quite relieved when I finally decided to. But the truth is, is that God, God does not lead us impulsively, but he will usually put us through a time of waiting. Then Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And verse 15 actually says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And so peace is put into the same neighborhood as the word. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart once the word of Christ dwells in you richly. Uh, the, the word rule is the same word that the Greeks would use for a referee or an umpire in first century games. And so let the presence or absence of peace tell you whether you're in bounds with God's will or out of bounds with God's will. When you have this strong, divine peace in your heart that you're doing the right thing and it's consistent with the Scripture, you probably have a hold God's will and direction by the Holy Spirit. And so that's, uh, that, that's the case. I was in a lot of turmoil, for example, when I was trying to decide on seminary. I really wanted to go back to the West Coast and go to Golden Gate, and I really resisted going to Southwestern because everybody went to Southwestern. And I didn't want to do what everyone else wanted to do just because they did it. And it seemed to me that's the way people did things. And I, I really resisted that. And sitting in that chapel one day, peace came upon my heart and the turmoil I had completely dissipated hearing from the uh, speaker from that school. Well, uh, there's a third verse, Psalms 37, verse number six. Here the Lord makes a tremendous promise to us about his, uh, about his um about his guidance. Psalms 37, 6. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. In other words, the right thing he will bring forth as light. It will be clear and you will no longer be confused. These are the patterns of God when you've got to make a decision that is not specified in the Bible. So this is why all of those who get a word from the Spirit are those who trust and know God's Word. You never waste your time when you look to God in His Word. And so when you've got to make a decision, take time to get clean before God. When you've got to make a decision, take time to do an inventory of your love and obedience to Him. And then when you've got to make a decision, give more time to looking to God in His Word. And when deciding then, the Spirit will direct you. Now for some of you, this text here in John 14 in Proverbs 1 is a great comfort. I mean, in your heart as humbly as you can, you know you're not perfect, but you have left behind your sin. You hate them. You despise them. You... Love the Lord Jesus, and you can watch over the last decade or so that your obedience and trust in Him has grown. And then you enjoy doing a face plant in the Bible every morning, and you get along with God and you seek Him. And when you have to make decisions, you intensify each of these. You get more and more clean before God, and you do an inventory on your love and obedience to Him. And then you take more time to look to His Word when you have to make a decision. This text has been a comfort, but for some of you, it's been a terror. You haven't left your sins. You haven't loved the Savior. You have not looked into the Scripture. Instead, 
you, um, you've loved your sins, you've left your Savior, you lingered over self. And right now, if you can imagine a throne on your heart and soul, and if you can imagine the occupant of the throne, if you got honest before God, you'd have to say, he's not there. Jesus is not on that throne. I am. I'm doing exactly what I want to do, and I'm miserable for it. Let me tell you something. People who, eventually, people who demand being on the throne of their own heart usually get to a place of indescribable misery. But I've got good news for you. All of that today can completely change. Every bit of it. God in a moment, God in less than a second can completely cleanse it and change your heart, mind, and life in your direction as if none of that foolishness had ever happened with one simple decision. That can happen today when you tell Him yes. Yes, God, I will honestly assess myself. No more fakery. No more putting on a good face in front of everyone else. God, I'm honestly assessing myself, and dear God, I have fallen short, and this misery is self-imposed. It's me, God. I've honestly assessed myself. And then you also come clean before God. You get honest and transparent with Him. He already knows. And then you trust the promise of His Word. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Today, now, hurry, don't wait, hasten. God says, do my work and will now. If it's God's will, you don't have to pray about it. If it's commanded in Scripture, you don't have to pray. The praying's over. All of that is already decided in the Word of God. All that's left, so in other words, everything about God is ready. The only thing left to do is to say yes to Him and bow it all before Him and to do anything less is to invite the consequences of Proverbs 1 that we read earlier. Come today, say yes to Him, make the right decision, make it in His time. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Great business leader Lee Iacocca said, even the right decision is the wrong decision if it's made too late. You're not going to do that today. Let's pray together.